Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be asking the question, why does God allow suffering? Yeah, today we're joined by Father Dan Leary, and we're going to look at the reason why a good and just God would allow children to die of starvation, war, and all sorts of terrible things to happen. Is there a value to human suffering? Let's find out. Good to be back uh, for another episode. This is definitely one of the probably one of the most well asked questions uh, for people of faith and people without faith. Um, and I'm really grateful to have Father Dan Leary here with us, a priest that has ministered both to myself and my family uh, in the DC area and is now at the World Children Villages in uh, Mexico City and uh, is encountering suffering uh, daily in his life and serving suffering through the ministry of Jesus Christ and his priesthood joyfully. Uh, so just a really good topic uh, for us to discuss and somebody who's very well equipped, I believe, to to answer a lot of these tough, uh, you know, questions that surround this this particular, um, you know, idea in our faith. You know, Father Dan Leary has, uh, you know, such an extensive reach in his ministry and knows very intimately human suffering. All priests do, but don't all of us, right? We're out there in the world suffering each and every day. Is there a value to it? When we open up the scriptures, I mean, the scriptures are just packed full of human suffering. And, you know, when we focus our lives on the cross of Jesus Christ as worshipers of the Lord, you know, that that sense of the cross that is in our life, I think it's really good to allow the magnification through this conversation on what human suffering can provide that is an element of good, because at times the world is just so dark and witnessing the poverty of suffering in people's lives, it's challenging at times. So I'm really looking forward to this uh, this conversation. And Father Dan Leary, welcome to the Catholic Talk Show. It's great to be with you, man. Guys, thanks for having me and great opportunity to share a topic near and dear to my heart. Amen. So in talking about why a good, all good God, an infinitely good God would allow horrible things to happen. Um, that's a really weighty topic. It's, it's such a weighty topic that even Aquinas in his Summa considered it the very best argument against the existence of God. So uh, if you watched our episode on Aquinas with Matt Fred a few weeks ago, or if you're familiar with Aquinas and the way the Summa's worked is that it's a sum of all theology, yes, but the way that it's structured is basically Aquinas would first pose the objections as they were understood by the person who makes them in such a way that he can answer them. And when in um, the first part of the Summa, uh, question two, article three, one, two, three, he asked, is God real? Does God exist? And his number one objection to the existence of God is the problem of evil and suffering. If an infinitely good God exists, how can evil also exist? Because if one thing is infinite and another thing is opposed to it diametrically, well, that infinite thing would necessarily have to expunge the other, right? So if there's an infinitely good God and he is all goodness, evil could not exist. And that is what he considers Aquinas the best argument against God. But we're going to unpack that, you know, why would a good God allow 
child to starve to death? Why did a good God allow the Holocaust? Why do families die in house fires? Why do children starve? Why do old people get beaten in nursing homes? I mean, this stuff happens. Evil is real. Suffering is real. Um, and is there a point to it? So we're going to talk about that. And, and Father Dan does have firsthand experience like that in a way that very few do, um, both in his work uh, you know, with the World Villages for Children, but also I think in a unique way in suffering as being the chaplain to the Washington football team, correct? yeah i was a chaplain for 10 years i was good we had a losing season there was no suffering because i had no expectations (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean that that is a unique way to suffer is having to be around the washington football team (laughs) well said bro i tried man i stood on the sidelines i felt like you know, the, the first grader standing next to the college basketball player. But anyway, I gave it my all, bro. I gave it my all. <laughs> yeah, the other so, thing, too, I, I think ahead, with suffering is, like, it, it can overwhelm us. Um, I mean, even uh, what I'm I'm really excited to, to kind of dive into a little bit further is, you know, as a priest, you guys encounter suffering uh, a lot more intimately, I would say, uh, than, you know, like a, a parent like myself. You know, we, we encounter suffering with our children and and encounter suffering as spouses, but, you know, as a priest and especially as a missionary priest, uh, the, um, you know, encountering suffering in, in a more intimate way, I think would, you know, in a lot of cases for people watching would pain and pain them more, you know, about this question about this mystery of suffering would pain them more. And even though we know that Christ is our savior and that he suffered and died for us and he paved this way, to victory and that this victory overcomes the suffering, it's still in our face. And so I think this conversation is going to be really good in terms of, of listening to how you guys encounter suffering in your priesthood too, as well, on a more intimate level. So Father Dan, I've, I've got to ask you personally, like what has been your experience pastorally in dealing with the sufferings of the people that you've served? Uh, in the U.S. or Mexico? Either. I, I mean... Poverty is poverty. It's heating and it just feels itself in different ways. Um, third world or local poverty. Um, suffering is suffering. It's like it's very blinding, um, you know, to people. I think. But yeah, what, whatever comes to mind, brother, is uh, is something that would be of interest. Well, a quick bit background. You know, I came from kind of a crazy Irish Catholic family, so we had our own unique suffering and sort of the struggles that our family had. When I came out of the priesthood, I began to kind of get involved in the ministry of healing and some other things. What I encountered in the suffering there had some solutions, at least from in the American-based experience, because there were opportunities for medicines and there was opportunities to to take a break and and, and to settle down and even find open parishes in many respects. The experience I'm in now and in the sufferings of the children I'm facing now, you know, it's a different kind of suffering because it's a suffering that sometimes without a lot of hope. And that's very different than some of the other suffering, because there's there needs to be that grace of resilience within that person, even when they're suffering. So they've gone through pain and they've gone through suffering, but at the same time, where do they go back to find the solution? And really what I would say is, and what I've noticed is, that's why their faith elevates them so powerfully above just normal suffering, because they're able to face the reality that my suffering is greater and unites me more to Christ. So 
it's a it's two experiences. It's it's the early part of my priesthood, and now this ministry that I find myself in, where I see suffering exponentially encountered, and yet at the same time, the drops of grace of faith are profoundly watery in the hearts of the people I'm serving. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about these people that you're serving? I mean, it, it sounds like materially we've made a a, a, a sort of a, an idea here about you know, in the United States or in more affluent countries, you have solutions or even some comfort to deal with some of your suffering, right? But in, in Mexico, it sounds like there's there's no material aspect to this suffering that gives them a space to do it, that they just dive deeper, deeper into it and that their faith gets them through it, their faith gets elevated, the grace of God comes in a more powerful way, maybe. Um, can you talk a little bit about these, these uh, young people that you serve in Mexico, like what kind of situations they're in? Yes. So the sisters accept one child from every family based on the greater need of the poverty. So there's 3,300 girls in Chalco, Mexico, and 2,000 boys in Guadalajara. It's basically a boys town, girls town, Ryan. And basically they're chosen based on a lack of a father, lack of mother, lack of both, or really just having gone through trauma. And so the the child entering the program is, is has already experienced suffering at a very early age. They enter around 12, they're there for five years. So what I've been able to do is sort of compartmentalize the pain of prior to arrival and then the healing process of the five years that they're with the sisters and then launching them forward to give them hope and strength. So the majority come in, I would say, without a father, without a mother and having been through, through some sort of significant trauma. And then secondarily, lack of basic essentials because they come from the villages and, and the mountain areas. So really a lack of of material um, material blessings that they would normally fall back on as that sort of a comfort. So it's it's encountering the sickness, it's providing a solution, and then giving them the hope so it doesn't cycle back. It's really the breaking of the cycle of poverty. Yeah. You Chalco, know, and then, Chalco Mexico, is just outside of uh, Mexico City, and it was identified a number of years back by St. John Paul II as one of the most impoverished cities in the world. So I think when we're talking about the unique experience that Father Dan Leary brings to the table is his intimate contact with that. And to be able to see firsthand, you know, one, you know, talking about prior to being in community, prior to entering in to the sisters' care and to your pastoral care and education and really sending them forth with hope, a secure sense of hope that I'm sure is drawn from faith, but also just the instruction that these children are receiving and the hope of really placing them in, in, in positions of employment and, and, and in positions of prosperity. Um, you know, like that firsthand experience of poverty itself is, is something that's uh, a very unique thing. And as Ryan Delacrosse was saying before, not many people have that, you know, to find, to find the most impoverished area in the world and to have contact with it. Being there, uh, Father Dan, you've, you've been in that region for, for a while. And I know over a number of years when you were in DC, you would make a lot of trips down to Mexico City as well as to Chalco. So how, how would you describe uh, the poverty in a little bit more depth um, what what makes it so unique um, in that sense of, of what St. John Paul II was identifying? Well, great question. What what I what Chaco is is a very poor community that when the sisters started there was one of the poorest areas in Mexico 
Okay. Currently, some children come, obviously, children come from Chalco and they come from Guerrero, which is really the human trafficking um, hotspot in Mexico. It's also a great place of violence. So the sisters are actually drawing the children from those places where the, the greater vulnerability. And so what happens is they come in with a tremendous lack of trust, although they have this faith, because imagine, right? Imagine you know, and Father Rich, imagine if you've never been on a bus, you've never been out of your village, and yet you're going 12 hours to a school that's going to be five years, 11 months, and you're going to live there. Think of that faith as your 12-year-old daughter leaving the house. That's what the children are looking for, that opportunity of hope. And really, that's what happens. Kids have no hope. And so when they are given hope, it inspires them to think outside of themselves and to become grateful kids. Wow. Wow. I was selected out of my two, four, six, eight brothers and sisters, and I can live differently. <laughs> I can live differently with hope, not just, yeah, providing for my family. Absolutely, man. But at the same time, hope in terms of living differently and not repeating the cycle of the nonsense of that many of them come from. Mm. Yeah, uh, That begs the question, and I think a lot of our viewers are going to be wondering this, and this is probably the core why they're tuning in. Why would God allow that? Why would God allow children to be trafficked in the sex trade? Uh, why would God allow children to die of cancer and starvation? Why would God allow one child, child out of nine to be saved where the other eight are still in that situation? How could a good God let that happen in his creation? And that goes back to, you know, one of the, one of the earliest, like, I guess, a thing that you'll hear a lot is the Epicurean paradox, that if God is all... If um, I want to get it right, God either wishes to take away all evils and is unable, therefore he is not God because he's unable to take away evils, or he is able and unwilling, then he's not a God worth worshiping, or he's neither willing nor able, and again, not an omnipotent God, and again, not something worth worshiping. So how do we reconcile this seeming paradox that God, who we ascribe all goodness to, allows terrible things to happen, rape, murder, um, all kidnappings and all kinds of terrible things, uh, sexual abuse in the church. How would God allow that to happen in his own church? And that is probably the biggest stumbling block most people have on faith and they experience it. If God is good, why would he allow my mom to die of cancer? Why would he allow my child to die of sudden infant death syndrome? Why would, uh, my, why would he allow my husband to run away with another woman, or why would he allow my son to die in a car crash? You know, that is something that is very hard to answer, but you have to consider it like this, is that from suffering, good can be brought. And that is really hard to understand. And you have to have the the wisdom, the all-surpassing wisdom of God to understand it. But let's look at, for example, maybe chemotherapy. Chemotherapy, I don't know if you've ever known someone who went through chemotherapy. It is not pretty. It is difficult. It is incredibly painful. It ravages your body. But in the end, the hope is is that it destroys the cancer, right? You are suffering for a greater good, right? You are allowing yourself to be tormented in a lot of cases in the hopes of something good coming out of it. You know, I think understanding suffering in that context is important. But then again, why could God just create a world where there is no suffering? 
well, okay, great. We get good out of it. Why, if God's all powerful, why not just create a world where, hey, all those lessons are already learned and we don't need to suffer to learn them. Well, that's because we have free will. And free will is the defining characteristic that differentiates us from animals and from the angels, right? It's something that makes us wholly unique. It's what the fallen angels um, are jealous about us over, that we have free will. We are like God and that we have the will to choose or reject good. And without the ability to freely choose goodness, we are not free and we are just robots. We're automatons. And that, that would make God a rapist if he just forced us to love him without the ability to reject him. God is not a rapist. God is not forcing himself. He's giving us the choice to say yes or no. So when you want to understand why evil exists, it's because we have the free will to reject good, and that rejection causes suffering. And, you know, people will counter that saying, well, why would God just not give us that opportunity? Again, we wouldn't have free will to choose him. Um, and then the last point I want to make about that is that, you know, Free will is more important to what makes us human than the tragedy of people suffering, right? It's more important because it is our defining characteristic. And if we would say, God, take God out of the context, right? Well, why did my child die? Why did this terrible thing happen? Well, if you don't believe in God and you don't believe that a greater good is coming, then, then all suffering is pointless. Suffering is meaningless, a child dying has no meaning and there's no hope for it. It just is. That's a terrible way to live, right? So it's almost like Pascal's wager that, look, we have to understand that we might not get the whole picture, but there is a reason for all this suffering. It's not just because God is indifferent. You know, why didn't God stop the Holocaust? Maybe he did. Maybe it was going to be 18 million people who died instead of 6 million. We don't know that, you know. We don't know that maybe on 9-11, there could have been 7,000 people instead of 3,000. We don't know how God prevents things from happening because they didn't happen. But without suffering, there is no, there's no ability to have that free will. So it's a very difficult thing to understand, but it's so important to understand that if God isn't putting meaning behind suffering, your suffering is meaningless and a child dying of starvation means no more than a tree falling over. And I know that's not true. I know that suffering is not pointless because if it was, there is no point to anything. So that leads us to know that there is a God and that God is allowing us the opportunity to both reject him and to bring good out of suffering. Fathers, what do you think about that? Father Rich? <clears throat> well, I, you know, I can't help but consider, you know, the scriptures I mean, and really Jesus Christ, you know, so first starting with starting with the cross of Jesus Christ, you know, like, why do we have why do we have crosses that are adorned with gold and ornamentation, you know, like why, why, why is this symbol um, something that is so central to our daily worship? Why do we begin every type of prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the sign of the cross? Why do we wear the cross around our neck? Why do we place it over our beds? Why do we, why do we look at the cross every time we enter into a worship space over the altar? And, you know, there has to be a sense of cross in life. 
in this life, anticipating what that is as something that naturally speaking, you know, by by nature, mankind is self-preserving. By nature, mankind is is kind of uh, moving away from suffering, running almost like instinctually, like a deer that ha- is threatened, just seemingly threatened. It's going to run off into the woods. Well, naturally speaking, the human person is going to want to avoid suffering and avoid even looking at these evils. You know, Sheila, you you emphatically you know, and collectively, holistically explained uh, suffering in such a, a extensive way. And I'm sure that our listeners, our viewers are like, they feel it in their gut. That's good that you feel that. It's good that you feel the weight of that. The weight of human suffering was taken on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And he who is more innocent than a baby, more innocent than a child, he was pure, but he was crucified. And he willingly entered into human suffering, spurred on by the compassion of God, that God so loved the world that Jesus manifested this love in crucify, in being crucified. You know, and the sense of, of suffering in light of what Christ can provide to us is the ornamentation of the hope for eternal glory, that through this suffering of this present day, this present age, God is drawing me in and through this suffering, overcoming all of my fears and bonded together with the faithful, that together we are moving through human suffering together as a community of faithful who are crusaders signed with the cross, crusada. So a couple of scriptures that I'd like to reference in relationship to one, the cross of Jesus Christ as being present as this paradoxical uh, presentation or revelation to us of human suffering. But first Peter 5.10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So this is important to recognize of what's what's being said by our first pope. You know, what is God doing in the midst of human suffering? We are subjected to it because of the fall. We're subjected to the chaos of natural and social evils. And in the presence of that, what does God do? God draws us together and he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. And I'm, I'm very curious to find out from you, Father Dan Leary, too, because I've seen it firsthand, whether in third world poverty, which I've been so blessed to, to be in the Middle East, in South America, in Chalco. I've, I've been, God has been so gracious to be able to open my eyes to human suffering. And then even in my own present ministry of, of, of caring for people. But in that space, I see God drawing together. I see him, I see him actually, truly restore people. I I see it on their faces. I see their eyes lift from a place of isolation and, and, and being alone in my suffering, being in that darkness, being so broken. I see, I see this restoration of hope. I see the, the, the beginnings of God's work in their, in their soul and in their life. And then I see the confirmation that this suffering is not defining my life. But through this suffering, I am being defined and I am being 
restored and I'm being confirmed in my faith that through the cross, I'm being led to glory. And in that, that is, I see that strength developing in people saying, I can handle this. I was just meeting with a gentleman this morning who has a very bad diagnosis and, and it could potentially be terminal. And he looked at me and he says, in the spirit, I'm strong, Father. And I know God has led me here. He has led me my whole life. He has led me here and I will get through this. Even if it's to my death, I know that God is with me and I'm not afraid and I'm strong. I'm made strong. So again, like the privileged ability to see the establishment of Christ's cross in the church gives me so much hope that, that there is a value of suffering. And even if just on a limited basis, like that my heart would be moved from apathy or selfishness, like my heart would be moved to the point of, of empathy and, and compassion, that I would want to, I want, I would want to cling to someone's suffering and to be with them. It, that in and of itself, I think, is is one of the greatest values of human suffering. But Father Dan, I, I definitely want to hear you on this as well. Well, you know, all suffering is personal and individual. And so it's uniquely a person's individual response. In my beginning ministry, when I was working the girls and the boys through their pain, like let's take a girl that might have been through some ugly trauma. When I began the process of walking through their healing, which is really what a response to suffering is. Um, it's a relationship because what really happens is, is when there's suffering, the relationship of love is fractured. And so what happens is they end up loving themselves, which then isolates them. So what was once communion with Christ through my suffering, through my pain, through my abuse, through my trauma, they end up going internally and then therefore isolating because there's nothing interiorly to love. So when I be, so to speak, you know, there, there's just sadness. And so what I began to realize, and this is over the months, is when I would work with the kids and they would talk about things they'd never talked about, abuse and trauma, and it's really obviously horrific, <clears throat> as Ryan identified. What I began to realize is I was, I was suffering in the act. But over the 10 months that I've been with the kids, what I've begun to do is kids have represented their pain to me in a variety of ways, represented what happened to them. Now, after 10 months, I know a significant number of faces and possibly even names, no? But that's a harder suffering for me because there's an inherent love for them because I know them. I, I don't suffer as much when I don't know the person, but when I know the person, I uniquely suffer. The point of all of that is, how does Christ respond when I suffer? And what really happens is we forget that suffering. We forget that Christ is uniquely, painfully suffered. Look, if I can suffer, and you can suffer, and you guys can suffer as dads because your kiddos are suffering or your parishioners are suffering, how much more does God, the Lord who loves, who sacrificed, who laid on his life, how much more does he suffer? So my 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 answer to that is all suffering when it is personal and when I love the suffering in my spiritual daughter or in my spouse, I have to have a response. That's where I would invite your listeners to go. What is the response of suffering? Because if it just remains pain, suffering, where is God? All of us can respond. Even if I'm full of cancer and I reach out to another person, the human heart needs to give itself, even in suffering. Look at Christ on the cross. The heart 
gave. My, my point is maybe to encourage the suffer and that the listeners is, hey, man, you are going through nonsense and pain. Reach out to somebody. Touch base with them. I tell the girls in the school all the time, you want to heal? Then bring me another you. Bring me another classmate who's gone through the exact same nonsense and you will receive a grace. And I invite the people in your community to do the same. This guy that has the pain, you say, look, I'm going to walk with you, but you bring me another cat that's got suffering. And then he will heal because he goes from just being Christ on the cross to being Simon and Simon of Cyrene. And that communion is incredibly liberating. And then it's relational. So, yeah, I, I have a little bit different. I want them to respond. And that response will then liberate. That's, that's great. I, I think of when um, Jesus was walking with his apostles and disciples and um, this kingdom, right? This kingdom that he's proclaiming uh, and the response to the suffering of these disciples, apostles of, of the time of the Roman Empire, of, uh, you know, the Pharisees and 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 the the thought or the idea that Jesus was just going to eliminate them all. Like, so the response to suffering uh, with a king and a God is that somehow he's just going to throw fire bolts at them and just just get rid of them all. And is, isn't that a response that we have to suffering, right? We just want to get rid of it. We want to run from it, like Father Pagano says. And yet the kingdom that he proclaimed is this one of deep interior abiding love that can overcome all things. Because if you eliminate these people, you're still going to have that interior spiritual gap or chasm where this will arise again because we know people are going to sin, but yet the kingdom of God proclaimed through Christ is this, this healing that you're talking about that occurs in, in, in many ways over time through his deep abiding love and, and healing uh, presence in our lives where we don't run from things or expect things to be obliterated. We, we go to Christ and we're continually healed through our suffering. And that, that is worthy of honor and praise. That is worthy of glory. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the place where we want to go. Right. That's, right, right. That, that's glory. Right. Like I love, glory. I love that Delacrosse, you know, that's glory. The glory of God's kingdom is being revealed. And in, in recent, you know, during, during the season of Easter, you know, we have the acts of the apostles. We see how the acts of how the apostles are responding in their suffering to St. Paul, for example, you know, like Paul was killing Christians. Like they were fearful, you know, like how do we respond? And then Barnabas gives testimony. And then, and then it's like, no, Paul is doing works in the name of Jesus Christ. Like accept him. Protect. And it's like, they, they could have responded. No, you killed my best friend. Yeah. You killed one of our disciples, you know, like that's evil. That's wrong. Mm -hmm. But enduring the suffering of that injustice, now, now the apostolic college is following in suit with Jesus Christ. They're not isolating in their suffering, but boldly and intrepidly going out to even encounter greater suffering. And then now they protect Paul, who once killed them, and then send them off to Tarsus and Caesarea. Like, it, it, it blows my mind that, you know, when, when Christ musters up strength within our weaknesses, 
what can happen is the breaking forth of the glory of God and his kingdom. And we could start perceiving that in, in such mm-hmm. a real way, a, a real tangible way. Yeah, I mean, we have a God who became fully man and in the Garden of Gethsemane said, not my will, but your will and freely suffered, entered into our suffering so that good can come out of it. Right there is the most fundamental answer. Look, the answer is always the cross. No matter the question, I don't care what it is. You could take it to the cross and you will get an answer. Why suffering? Because good can come of suffering. Our salvation, our our, um, you know, atonement for the lack of judgment in our free will is made up through the suffering of someone who had perfect will alignment with the Father. Yes. And then the, you look at um, the temptation in the desert, right? Christ is hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days. And the devil does what he always does in response to suffering. Feed the suffering. Heal the body, not the soul. Turn these rocks into bread. You won't be hungry anymore. I mean, and that's what the world offers us. Hey, there's suffering. Avoid suffering. You're getting old, get surgery. You know, people are hungry, sell all the artwork and feed the, the, the starving, which wouldn't work anyway. We have another episode on that. But, you know, the answer is not just the bread and the water that we need to eat. There's the living water and the bread that will, you know, the, the living bread, the bread of life. Everyone's going to be hungry again. You're going to eat and then tomorrow you're going to be hungry again, Right. You're going to suffer, and then the suffering will abide, and then you'll go and suffer again. There has to be a point where the cycle ends, and that is what we are made for. And in our free will, we have to choose it. And God knew that we were going to struggle with that. We did struggle with that from the fall. And he enters into into the course of history and suffers in a way the most evil act ever, you know, deicide, right? I mean, we killed God in his perfection. That's true suffering, right? The, you know, the father suffering, the son suffering for the sins of mankind. But suffering has a purpose there. And I think that's what's important. And again, there's always a purpose to suffering because if there's not a purpose, then it doesn't matter if a child dies of cancer. If there is no God, a child dying of cancer is just a random agglomeration of atoms and material with electrical impulses that have the illusory self-awareness to think that there's suffering and there's pain, but it really is just random atoms. And in the course of human or the, you know, you know, the history of the universe, one little matter of atoms in one space and time means nothing. There has to be meaning to suffering. And if you reject God because of suffering, you're saying that suffering ultimately doesn't matter because if there is not a God to give context to it, and there is not a deliverance from suffering, then suffering is nothing. And we know it's not nothing because it hurts. We have compassion. We see how terrible it is that people suffer. There has to be meaning to it. And that meaning is that something good will come of it, even if we don't realize it, right? And I I just want to underscore something you said, Shield, too, is that when we go to the cross, you know, everything is met in the cross of Jesus Christ. And even in my own personal suffering, as, as Father Dan Leary mentioned to us very clearly, like everybody's suffering is individual. You know, everybody's suffering is unique and we can isolate in that and we could, and we could turn in on ourselves and nobody will understand. 
And th- when you think about it, like even with a even with a best friend or somebody that's just willing to su- sit down with you and and be present to your suffering, they really don't understand the depths of your suffering. They don't know all of the variables. Mm-hmm. Most likely, you don't know all of the variables. But in the sense of of the suffering heart, where I have found personally, just as a testimony, in Christ, there is nothing that I've suffered along the way that hasn't been met by Christ on the cross, that that it is always a catalyst for greater union, and it's in union with Christ. That is the source of consolation and the source of strength. That's where I am refurbished, renewed, established, strengthened, commissioned even um, in, in that respect. So you know, I, I I think the cross is always going to be the answer, as as Sheil expressed, and and that's why we are a crusader. That's why we are cruzadas, because we are the ones who bear the cross. Ever since we were signed with the cross as our bat at our baptism, you know, that by our parents, by our godparents, and by the priest who baptized us or the deacon, you know, like from that moment on, like we're perceiving the mystery of human suffering, and we're commissioned toward it unafraid. Be not afraid to encounter human suffering because in it and through it, we may begin to perceive through the veil that veils us all. That t- Through that veil, we can begin to perceive that glory that we all and, so long for. You know, and that's one of the reasons I don't like this kind of recent push to alter the translations of the Our Father. You've seen it in Italy at the impetus of the Holy Father or here, where it's lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it's like, put us not to the test. And that's, again, why would, that talks to God does allow suffering. God does, will lead us to tests, will lead us to things that are difficult. God wants that from us, right? He is putting us to the test so that it can reprove us and make us better. Um, you know, Ryan, I'm sure your kids have come to you before and saying, look, dad, I just don't get this homework and I'm going to get a family grade. Help me on it. Now, it's very easy for me to do, you know, third graders homework, right? Maybe not my daughter's high school homework, but, you know, third graders <laughs> homework, no problem. And they can get an A plus every time. I'll just do all their homework for them. I have the ability to take away that suffering from my child. But is that good for him? Is that good for Johnny for me to do his homework? And he doesn't suffer. He gets A's. Hey, everyone wins. Well, now now he doesn't know this stuff. He doesn't have that instance of, look, you brought in a paper, you didn't know it, and you got an F, man. That's going to help you learn that you need to study harder. That's going to give you the opportunity to improve yourself. And that's the same thing. Look, God does put us to the test, and he should, and we should welcome that, right? We should welcome that because God is leading us to places that will make us harder, stronger, better people. I think I just quoted Kanye West. I'm not sure. (laughs) But the point is, is that, look, suffering is not meant to be avoided at all costs. And that's what our modern culture says. Look, if you're suffering, you're living life wrong. It should never be suffering. It should all be California beaches and youth forever, right? But that's not life. I mean, look, life is half of you listening to this are probably going to die of cancer or heart disease. Then you know what? It's going to hurt and it's not going to be pleasant. You're going to get cancer. Your hair is going to fall out. uh, You're not going to be able to control your bowels. Your organs will fail. You will struggle to breathe and you will die. I hope I'm not telling you anything that you haven't thought of before, but it's going to happen. You can't avoid it. Don't try to avoid it. Understand it and let that 
make you better because your ultimate goal is not here. Your ultimate home is in heaven. And But when you see suffering in the world, when you see children suffering, do what you can, right? Donate to these organizations like World Villages for Children that are alleviating the suffering. That is our part in the response of suffering is that we can do what we can to help alleviate it. We're not going to get rid of it ever. You know, Jesus said the poor will always be with you. But we can certainly be his, you know, his hands in this world and help to alleviate it. So, Father Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit more about how people can support World Villages for Children and the work that you do, not only in Mexico, but throughout the world? Yeah, well, thanks. They're, you know, the sisters are in Guatemala and Honduras, Tanzania, Philippines, Korea, obviously Mexico and Brazil. And so they pick the most impoverished kids. And, you know, it isn't just giving them a fish. And it's not just teaching them to fish because they're given the tools, country specific formation so they can go out and get jobs. Also more than that, they're given incredible faith. The first girls that came into Mexico, about 800 first year girls, the majority of them are not baptized. They're 11 and 12 because there's no priests in these locales. And by the end of their five years of formation, all of them will be baptized and all of them will be first communion confirmation. So really what the mission of the sisters and the founder, Father Al, was is to give them the spiritual tools to overcome anything they face in this life. And really the calling is to be saints. One thing I would remind the listener is that all suffering, all pain is leading to sanctity. It's only my response to it. So if I respond to my cross with hope, with courage, if I pick it up, I don't drag it, you know, I don't want to be too colloquial, but the point is all of it is a response. So that's why we pray, folks. That's why we go to adoration. That's why we have spiritual directors. That's why you talk to holy people in your life or Father Rich. You say, hey, man, I'm really suffering. And they help redirect your eyes to the cross so that you don't end up looking inward. So, yeah, we're all villages for children. It's the program in the U.S. It's Annapolis-based in Maryland that basically helps support the children and to get them out of the poverty, the cycle of poverty. It's, it's an incredible program. I'm 23 years a priest in the diet from DC, and it's the happiest, busiest I've ever been. It's nonstop confessions and opportunities for the kids to, to unload their burden. And you can really see them drawn to the Eucharist. We have adoration all the time. So these little guys and gals are rolling into the Eucharist and being strengthened. So they're given physical tools. They're given tools to change their lives. And they're also given the spiritual graces to live differently. I mean, What's the point of suffering if we don't give an opportunity for difference? What's the point? And that's what the two of you guys are banging around. And that's what Ryan Delacross is staring at because he doesn't understand a word we're saying. But that's all right. We all know that. <laughs> Ryan Delacross has an amazing way of dealing with suffering. He just, yeah. I don't know. I don't know, Ryan, how much you're suffering. I think you probably suffer less because you have more trust than just about anyone I know in God. And he, he, he's the, he, ins, he inflicts suffering. Let's be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so your um, mic, your mic's off, my brother. Your mic's off. Good, good, bro. Hi, Hi, Barry. Hi, Barry. I keep it close to my heart. <laughs> there you go. So now, before we go, Father Rich. Um, why don't we tell everyone about um, our sponsors and who helped make this show possible? That's so true. You know, like, look, sin and suffering, it's a reality in life. And we need communion with Christ. And there are great services out there to help you in that process. 
one of our sponsors, Hallow, provides you know a fantastic application to help people pray. And you know, much like the application Calm, you know, Hallow really is based in the Catholic tradition and has so many different types of uh, prayers and Lexio Divina services. Bible in the Year with Mike Schmitz. It's helping people progress in their prayer life day by day. There's journal features to this. I know Ryan Delacrosse uses it daily. Um, you know, the, the Hallow app is number one in the app store today for a reason. And if you haven't checked them out, make sure you do, because it can really be of assistance to you developing the salvific chords of what human suffering is trying to do in your life, what God is trying to do through suffering. So check out Hallow today. And Catholic Monthly is a really fantastic service to help you dig deeper into the scriptures. Sheila, why don't you tell us more about uh, Catholic Monthly and some of the really incredible offerings that they have that they could send to your door. Yeah, sure. So Catholic Monthly, so that's catholicmonth.ly, uh, it's a monthly subscription box to help you grow in the Catholic faith. So every month there's a theme, right? And there's the liturgical themes of the year. There's the consecrations of each month. And each month there's a different theme that helps you focus that month, that 30 days, to help you uh, grow in your faith, understand the traditions of the church. So uh, you'll, every month a new box will arrive. You'll get either you know a devotional, a, a piece of art, a, a shirt, a hat, um, a book, right? Every month it's something different, but it's a great collection of things that are thematically grouped together to help you focus your month on growing in faith. So uh, it's catholicmonth.ly. Uh, if you go to Catholic Monthly right now, you can get your first box 50% off. Um, lots of great stuff. You can check out this month's themes. I mean, in the past there's been, uh, you know, the Divine Mercy or there's Lenten themes. There's themes, of Marian themes. There's all kinds of great things that you can check out. So go to catholicmonth.ly. Dot ly and then for hollow that father rich mentioned make sure you go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash hollow and you can get uh, a free trial of hollow check it out and see if that works for you now we also want to give a big shout out to our patreons uh you guys are awesome we love hearing from you your support means so much father rich why don't you let them know how if they want to support the show they can so if you go to patreon.com forward slash Catholic talk show, you'll see every way that you could support us. This show would not be you know, able to go on day by day each week uh, without your generosity. So thank you so much for your support. And I agree, you know, some of the relationships that I've developed digitally, uh, even with the 44 day consecration, so many of our of our community members with the Catholic talk show have even uh, come over onto onto my YouTube channel. And, you know, the fact that we're developing community in life, that's what this is all about. You know, the fellowship that we have with one another is a strength. And that's what Christ wants to do. He redeems us. You know, when you look at the fall of our humanity and Adam and Eve, there's a separation between Adam and Eve and God, but there's also a separation between Adam and Eve and a separation between all of nature. And God, through Jesus Christ, is redeeming this separation. He's bridging the gap with his own blood. He's laying down his life so that we can actually come back together again. This is Jesus's desire for our humanity, that we be one, ut unum sint, that we would be one as he is one with the Father. So this is our work. And, and our, to our patrons that support the show, you're helping us establish that community online, digitally. And we hope that this service and this, this ministry is providing you a greater strength 
in your efforts of, of developing communion with others. So before we, before we get going, I really, uh, you know, Ryan Shiel brought up one of the best documents, I think, on human suffering, uh, you know, penned by St. John Paul II, Salvifici Dolores. And in the concluding section of this great ecclesial document, uh, it talks about this is the meaning of suffering which is truly supernatural. Think about that like that. There could be a supernatural element to suffering. And at the same time, it's human because it's based on this earth. So we definitely encounter it. You know, it's, it's unavoidable. It is supernatural because it is rooted in the divine mystery of redemption, the redemption of the world. That Christ, the, the redeemer of the cosmos, like this is the intention of God becoming man. That in this divine mystery, Christ is redeeming. He's drawing all things to himself. He's bridging that gap. He's drawing all human suffering and human sin. He's taking that upon his shoulders and bearing that wood of the cross for our salvation. And it is likewise deeply human, this suffering, because it, in it, the person discovers himself, his own humanity, his own dignity, his own mission. The fact that there can be self-realization through suffering, that, that we can come to encounter exactly who God has created within, you know, that introspection. And then in that, we now have mission. We're being commissioned by God to go out to human suffering in the same way Jesus commissioned those apostles on top of that mountain before he ascended into heaven. God means to give you a mission. And it is always in the context, not only of your own personal suffering, but now your eyes begin to shift from your own suffering to other people's suffering. In the same way, Father Dan Leary's eyes are gazing upon the children that he has been charged with care for. You know, from his own personal suffering, he's been able to realize who he is and then the mission therein of what God is entrusting to his pastoral care. The document continues, suffering is certainly part of the mystery of man. Perhaps suffering is not wrapped up as much as man is by this mystery, which is an especially impenetrable one. The Second Vatican Council expressed this truth that only in the mystery of the incarnate word does the mystery of man take on light. In fact, Christ, the final Adam, by the revelation of the mystery of the Father and his love, fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. What is that supreme calling, my brothers and sisters? Is that we're called to be together. Yes. And there's no greater bonding element than suffering. Suffering is the glue the cross is the glue to our union with one another. Right. Now, I'll put a link to that document. So people have asked, okay, well, you always say you're putting links to these documents and stuff in the show notes. Where is that at? Go to catholictalkshow.com, and you'll see this episode's page there. And when you click on it, all the links are going to be there. So I'll make sure there's a link to Hollow and to Catholic Monthly and to Salvifici. Dolores by Pope John Paul II, and then also a link to World Villages for Children. So you can go on there and learn how you can help support that ministry. You can sponsor a sister. You can give directly to the children. Um, 
you can learn more about their stories. You can learn more about their founder, Father Al, who's an amazing story, which deserves his own episode another time. So go to catholictalkshow.com to get all of these links. Um, also make sure that you like and subscribe, right? Make sure that you click the like button, you click subscribe. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us at Catholic Talk Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, and we're on TikTok now too, which is a thing, I guess. I don't know. So uh, <laughs> and make sure you're taking a moment and giving us a thumbs up too. That, that helps the algorithm as well. So give us some thumbs up, share some love and spread the word on the Catholic talk show. And if you want a little perspective of what father Dan Leary is doing, I produced a video uh, and I've, I've shared just, you know, very beautifully with a brother of mine, father, or excuse me, Josh Resnicek. Uh, when we visited Chalco, we took some great footage. So if you go to Tilma Foundation on YouTube, Tilma, like the Tilma of Juan Diego, T-I-L-M-A, Tilma Foundation, you'll see there's only really one video. So that video will show Chalco, Mexico. It'll show you the kids. It was one of the most moving experiences of my priesthood, seeing over 3,500 girls in attendance at the celebration of mass, worshiping, singing, and being receptive to the love of God that's redeeming them and drawing them into community with one another. Awesome. And one last thing I want to say that Ryan uh, and Father Rich are going on this um, this trip to Colorado this summer, and that's been completely booked up. That was Estovir Expeditions. Uh, that sold out really quick. A lot of guys wanted to go hang out with Father Rich and Ryan Delacrosse in the mountains and uh, Ryan, I don't your know. Microphone's why. Muted. Ryan, your <laughs> microphone's muted. Delacross. Yeah. No, nope, still can't hear you. <laughs> yeah. If I could say something about yes, this, <laughs> yeah, we, had, uh, we do have a spot for one more. We had somebody canceled due to uh, a conflict that came up. So there is another uh, spot open. It's for a man. Um, it's an expedition that we're uh, going to Pagosa Springs, estoveerexpeditions.com. We'll put a link in the comment section there. If you're interested, there's one more spot. It's from June 9th to June 13th. One more. Awesome. Yeah. I'll make sure that link's there. And, you know, that's going to, I'm sure within 10 minutes, that thing's going to get snapped up because a lot of people have been asking about it. And it's been marked as sold out. So it's being opened back up. One more spot available. Um, go get it. Don't all break the website at once. Um, Father Dan, really appreciate you uh, joining us here and um, going into Father Rich's office and squatting there, which is nice. Uh, I'll walk out with some stuff. I've been shopping. <laughs> well, That's just take it and sell it. Take it, sell the profits, you know, give them to the yeah. children. Father Rich will understand. Too good for the poor, Pagano. Nothing's too good for the poor, brother. <laughs> Again, yeah. So check out World Villages for Children. It's uh, worldvillages.org. Really, really powerful work that they're doing there to help confront the suffering that is in this world and does have a purpose, um, but alleviating that suffering in our Christian response to it, uh, you really you really need to check them out. So thanks again for uh, appearing on the show here today. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Stay in touch, folks. Let's keep so, praying for the poor and suffering, man. Fathers, will you give us a blessing here to end the episode? Please, for our Father listeners. Dan. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord protect you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to spread the gospel, this opportunity to speak of the poor, the, the poor that have no voice, the poor that suffer in silence. May Almighty God bless you, folks. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Ave crux spes unica. Hail to the cross, our only hope. 
God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Peace, folks. God bless you.